thousands of people have mysteriously vanished in America's wilderness. Join us as we dive into the deep end of the unexplainable and try to piece together what happened. You are listening to Locations Unknown. What's up, everybody, and welcome back to another episode of Locations Unknown. I'm your co-host, Joe Irado, and with me, as always, is a guy who can swallow a quarter and have it result in two dimes and a nickel, <laughs> Mike Van de Bogart. Uh, thank you, Joe, <clears throat> and thank you once again to all of our loyal listeners for tuning in. Just a couple of uh, updates and announcements before we get going here. First, I'd like to give some new Patreon shout-outs to John McDonald, Amy Schles- Schlesner, probably butchered that and Brittany howell so thank you for supporting the show thank you guys that is awesome of you <clears throat> if you uh, watch us on youtube you'll every episode you'll see improvements in the quality and the equipment and that is all directly because of you so absolutely and if <clears throat> you're a listener and you're not supporting the show yet but would like to you can also support us on youtube memberships or premium subscriptions on apple or buying swag on our various stores you'd like to call the show and leave a voicemail uh, you can call 208-391-6913 i'd also like to give a, a quick shout out to our our new intern kim turn our kim turn she uh d- helped a lot on the research of this episode so thank you kim and finally we've been getting a lot of comments on uh, listeners having issues with spotify and just want to clarify that um there's known problems with their app where it'll cause the audio to skip or the voice, you know, to speed up when you're listening. It's happened to me when I've listened to other podcasts. The best thing you can do is just restart the app. Um, so, you know, we've checked. We always check our episodes where we upload them. So it's uh, it's not an issue from the source. So just, uh, you know, double check. There's also a, a speed up button in the app that sometimes you can bump with your fingers. So uh, just make sure. Oh, you- yeah. There is a setting where you can speed it up if yep. you want them to talk like 1.5 times faster. Yeah. So... Um, with that said, Joe, do you have any other updates? No, um, just want to reiterate it's Kim turns first episode. I think she did a pretty good job. So, I uh, hope you enjoy the episode and that's pretty much it. So all right, everybody let's gear up and get out to explore locations unknown. With over 52 million acres, the U.S. National Park System is home to some of the most breathtaking natural features on the planet. Tens of millions enjoy these parks every year. Join us this week for an installment of National Park Cold Cases where we explore Olympic National Park.
So this week, we're covering Olympic National Park, which is located in Washington State. It was established on June 29th, 1938, and sees roughly 2.43 million visitors per year. And that was taken in 2022. So we're starting to get some more up-to-date numbers yeah. uh, post-COVID. So it's pretty high numbers for post-COVID. It's a super cool park. I've hiked it. I've camped out um, for multiple nights right on the beach. It's definitely... Um, a park worth going to if you're in the Pacific Northwest. Yeah, I've never done it, so I gotta go check yeah. it out. I've I've heard very good things about it. Yeah, so. it's super cool. So uh, here's some interesting facts about Olympic National Park. Lake Crescent is so clear you can see 60 feet down, which is very good. If you're a diver, 60 foot <laughs> yeah. visibility is very good. Yeah, that's a very clean lake. Absolutely. Uh, Olympic Mountain was o- named Olympus. Olympus Mountain, sorry, uh, was named by a British sea captain in 1788, 14 years after the park was originally recorded by a non-native. British sea captain John Mears looked at the mountain peak and commented that it was suited for the gods. Because of this, he named it Olympus after the home of the gods in Greece, uh, Greek mythology. Hurricane Ridge has a night sky program because 95% of Olympic National Park is wilderness. The park has a great place to experience natural darkness. Hurricane Ridge astronomy program lets you clearly see the Milky Way and learn about astronomy. So it's probably one of those like dark spots in the country. Yeah, it's um, when we were out on the beach, you could see the disc of the Milky Way. Uh, like like real clear? Because you can see it on a real good night here, but it's like very no. faint. There's like thousands well, of stars. Only other time I've seen it that like vivid in the sky was when I was in Hawaii. Oh, it's, really? Yeah, it's it's amazing. That's fantastic. I, yeah, it's you don't see that like anywhere in the lower 48, really. That's awesome. Yeah. Uh, here's something fun. Uh, you can adopt a fish in Olympic National Park. The Adopt-A-Fish radio tracking project lets visitors track fish. <laughs> this is to help see where salmon go after the removal of the dam. The funding for the project is made possible by the Washington's National Park Fund. Interesting. How long do fish live? Don't salmon die after they spawn? I have no idea. <laughs> and now you're in trouble. Yeah. I'll, I'll, I'll look it up. Even if you're right, you're in trouble. <laughs> Why am I in trouble? <laughs> because somebody will think you're wrong and then be mad at you and you're in trouble. So you look it up and I'll keep going. Uh, there are six unique environments classified in the park. Coastal forest, lowland forest, Temperate rainforest, mountain forest, subalpine forest, and alpine forest. So Olympic National Park has one of the only temperate rainforests in the world. I was right. You were so right. Pacific salmon die after spawning, and their bodies provide nutrients for the freshwater ecosystem. Atlantic salmon often survive after spawning. So, oh, okay. All right. So it depends on where you are. Yeah, Okay. So that's thanks. So you're tracking your fish and then your beacon just stops. Yeah. And it's like, why isn't the fish moving, mom? And like, well, he's resting for yeah. the rest of his life. He's having the big rest. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> uh, the park is also known for tide pools, not tide pods, tide <laughs> pools. So don't try and eat them. You can find sea urchins, sea stars, uh, anemone, anemones, <laughs> anemones uh, barnacles, limpets, mussels, snails, hermit crabs, Shore crabs, sand crabs, sculpin, sand dollars, and sea slaters in the tide pools. So I know how to, I know how anemones is supposed to be said. Yeah. I just can't. That's one of those. Uh, it's like the, with uh, me. Uh, what's the word I can't say? I don't know, Mike. This, what is it? I don't want to say it. 
Well, we found out that you can say it both ways technically. So you're not wrong. I know. It but just everyone, sounds dumb. It, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh. <laughs> I can't I literally can't remember right now. I'd be saying it right now. I can't remember what the word is. Well, it'll be my little secret. Okay. I'll I'll, I'll remember it eventually. It starts with a D. Oh, uh, what is it's it? It's when you're confused. Discom no, dis disorientated. Yeah, That's how you, you say it's disoriented? Yeah. Uh, I was going to say discombobulated because <laughs> uh, the Milwaukee airport, we have a recombobulation area. Yes. That's a fun fact about Milwaukee. There's literally after uh, the security, there's a sign that says recombobulation area. Yeah. So we got some humor up here in the Midwest. We do. Uh, the reason Olympic National Park exists as a national park is because of school children. President Roosevelt visited the territory and 3,000 children held up banners that said, Please, Mr. President, we children need your help. Give us our Olympic National Park. That's cool. I had no clue. Yep, neither did I. So that's good. Yeah. Good for the kids. They know what's up. Um, so according to our friends at the Copen Climate Classification System, we should have like a button where it plays like a song, <laughs> like their theme song. Like, I don't know, like, it'd be, like, really an epic, like, Olympic-style thing. Yeah. Uh, Olympic National Park encompasses two classifications, a temperate oceanic climate in the western half and a warm summer Mediterranean climate in the eastern half. So uh, we're going to go over just the different seasons and seasons and the temperature ranges here. So in spring, the range is from 35 to 60 degrees and is quite wet and mild. In summer... Your daytime temperatures are between 65 and 80 degrees, while nighttime sits at around 50 degrees. Although it is drier, uh, there are still rainstorms. Fall, uh, temperatures range from 35 to 60 degrees, and the weather becomes quite wet. Fog appears in the night and disappears by midday. In winter, uh, temperatures are usually in the 40s during the day and 20 to 30 during the night. It doesn't snow super often and does not last long when it does. So that's uh, pretty unique. That gets that cold, but they just have no precipitation. It's just, um, I mean, it's just a very temperate uh, location. The whole time we were there, it was kind of just, we were there in the late summer, but it was uh, always just kind of damp and, I mean, it was cool, but. I can see how it doesn't snow very often. Okay, so, yeah, I guess when it does snow, if it's in the 40s, it'll just melt, yeah. if, especially if they're not getting a lot, so. Okay, well, fine. <laughs> fine, then. It doesn't need the snow water. Go to Mount Rainier if you want snow. Yeah. That's not that far away from there. Nah, that's all right. Sometimes it's nice to not be in snow. <laughs> it is. Uh, so we'll talk a little bit about the terrain. The coastal portion of the park is rugged, sandy, and the beach along with a strip of adjacent forest. It is 60 miles long, but just a few miles wide with native communities at the mouth of the two rivers. Within the center of Olympic National Park uh, rise the Olympic Mountains, which sides and ridge lines are topped with massive ancient glaciers. The mountains themselves are products of accretionary wedge uplifting related to the Juan de Fuca plate subsection zone. Subduction. Subduction. <laughs> I've been gone for two weeks. Yeah. We're, we're we'll, gonna, cut, we'll cut Joe some slack. Cut me some slack. I went to Electric Forest, and then I had a work conference immediately after. <laughs> so I'm exhausted. I got back today. Uh, the geologic composition is a curious melange of basaltic and oceanic sedimentary rock. 
the western half of the range is dominated by the peak of Mount Olympus, which rises to 7,965 feet. That is not that high. No. I thought it would have been higher. No, the mountains in this park aren't, you know, aren't like what we're used to in Colorado or... So that's cool. You can just summit mountains pretty fairly easily unless they're super aggressive. Yeah. So uh, Mount Olympus receives a large amount of snow and consequently has the greatest glaciation of any non-volcanic peak in the contiguous United States outside of the North Cascades. Uh, It has several glaciers, the largest of which is the Ho Glacier at 3.6 miles in length. Looking to the east, the range becomes much drier due to the rain shadow of the western mountains. Here, there are numerous high peaks and craggy ridges. The tallest summit of the area is Mount Deception at 7,788 feet. I wonder if it looks taller than it is. (laughs) Probably. Just bad dad jokes. (laughs) The western side of the park is mantled by temperate rainforest, including the Ho Rainforest and the Quinault Rainforest, or Quinault, uh, which receive an annual precipitation of over 12 feet Holy cow. Making this perhaps the wettest area in the continental United States. A lot of rain. That's a significant amount of rain. Yeah. Holy crap. 12 feet. Yeah. Uh, Valleys on the eastern side of the park also have notable old growth forests, but climate is notably drier. So we're going to talk about a few of the animals that are in the area. There are black bear, cougars, Roosevelt elk, Wolves, otters, sea lions, and porcupines. Now watch out for those otters. Yes. <laughs> well, they could push you into a porcupine, and then you'd fall over down a hill and then yeah, be like, scratched by a cougar and eaten by a black bear. There you go. So there you go. Uh, to avoid that, we're going to go over some tips about hiking. Um, so these are just a few tips that will help you f- go through a successful hike in Olympic. So the weather in Olympic is variable and unpredictable. No matter the time of year, it is common for different weather conditions to exist within the park at the same time. Even in the summer, temperatures may vary from 10 to 20 degrees, especially along the coast in higher elevations. Uh, tides are a big thing. You said you're on the beach, so yeah. I'm sure you know about this one. Yep. Yeah, so, we got tide charts before we, we set out. Oh, really? Yeah. Are there some pretty gnarly areas? There's spots if you walk across at a low tide and wait, you can't get back out. You're stuck until the tide goes down again. Oh, we're going to have to talk about that. I'll look <laughs> up some of the maps and yeah. when, when you're talking about it. Uh, several points along the coast are only passable at low tide, as you said. Always carry a tide chart. Look at Mike. You're so prepared. <laughs> this is why you're here and not a, a subject of this show. Oh, uh, yeah. So that's, that, Hopefully that's it stays that way. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, they're available at the visitor center and the coastal ranger station. So you have no excuse because you can go to the park and pick them up there. They're free there. And you don't even have to buy them. No, there you go. Zero excuse to not have a tide chart. Even if you don't go on the beach, just grab one because they sound cool. it's good to talk to the rangers for a few minutes. Just if you're not familiar with hiking in a coastal region, they'll fill you in on, you know, all these hazards and how to avoid. Well, think about this way. Even if you are familiar of them, yeah, they're going to give you recent knowledge because guess what? The park is outside, and outside changes. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) Uh, Strong winds or storms can significantly elevate tides and create hazardous conditions. Be attentive to your surroundings and never underestimate the power of the Pacific Ocean. So a big thing, it sounds like, is the uh, ocean is very dangerous there. It is. um, It is. But you, uh, we didn't go swimming when we were there. It was pretty cold. But uh, yeah, you just got to carry your tide chart. You'll be fine. There you go. There you go, people. It's not (laughs) that bad if you follow directions. Yes. Uh, River crossings. We talk about this a lot, but there's always new listeners in the show because we set a new record for the month 
uh, all already. Yeah. Uh, most major stream crossings are bridged, but not all. High water or bridge dam damage can also mean encountering unexpected or difficult stream crossings. Uh, you want to unbuckle your waist belt of your pack and loosen the shoulder straps. You do not want to be attached to anything if you happen to slip or lose your footing. Yeah. Carry a pair of sandals or athletic shoes for wading across the river or creeks rather than crossing in bare feet. Um, I know everyone hates this, but it's the best camp shoe and water shoe, Crocs. <laughs> yeah. They, yep, fine. They look dumb, and some of you might like them, and now you're going to be mad, but legitimately, they weigh nothing. Yeah. They weigh absolutely nothing. You attach them to the outside of your pack. They Pretty take cheap. up no space. They're cheap, and then they have that you know sport mode that you can put on behind your, your shoe, Yeah. so they stay on pretty good when you're crossing across water. Obviously, they're not perfect, but they're pretty good. So and I, have I, crossed, I prefer those. I have crossed rivers barefoot and have destroyed my feet in the process, so oh, do yeah. not do that. 100%. And then I'm going to say one more thing for Crocs because it's funny. <laughs> we're not I, sponsored by him. We're not sponsored. By Crocs, if you're listening. We should. <laughs> um, I Every time I go with people that hate Crocs, by the end of a camping trip, they buy Crocs. Yeah. That's how good they are because I let them use them. When you've been hiking all day in boots and your feet are just nasty, you can take all your socks and shoes off, put Crocs on. They have the holes. You get airflow. Yep. It It's just perfect camp shoe, perfect water shoe yes. for hiking because of the weight. So. Don't knock Crocs for that. Uh, <laughs> if you hate them, just don't wear them when you're not camping. That's yeah, it. Just wear them in your house. Yeah, you're no dirty when you're you. camping. It doesn't matter. Looks yeah. don't matter when you're camping. Unless you're one of those Fial Raven people that spend all that money. <laughs> You'll probably get like gold Crocs or something. There you go, yeah. yeah, get some nice. Velvet Crocs. Yeah, get some ridiculous ones. Then you'll be fine. Um, use a walking stick or lock arms with a buddy for balance. Uh, you want to cross diagonally, uh, yielding to the currents. You kind of want to go on an angle because it's a lot easier than getting sideswiped by the yeah. water constantly. And in a general rule of thumb, uh, you really don't want to try crossing a river by foot if it's, what would you say, higher than shin height? Yeah, because it, it's you get waves sometimes, and it's water so the powerful. Are more are a lot stronger than you think. You might think like, oh, it's only up to my knees. That's a lot of water. That's a lot you. of water hitting yeah. you. It's and it's like constant. Someone constantly trying to push you over. And if you're carrying your pack, now I mean, if it's like you've a been walking all day, if like, it's like a lazy river where the it's barely moving, yeah, if it's steady water, okay, yeah. But, I, well, we've swam across those. Yeah. So like uh, a good example is when there's not a flash flood in Zion National Park. Yeah. If you're doing the narrows, you have to literally swim with your bag. Yeah. And that's completely fine. It's stagnant water. Yeah. So it's cold. An, any moving yeah, water. It was cold. It was cold. <laughs> yes, it was extremely cold. <laughs> but that was such a fun trip. Yeah, that was awesome. I'd love to go back yes. to Zion again. Yeah, we we definitely should because we got hit with crazy weather and we couldn't do a lot of stuff. All those people died. <laughs> yeah. So anyway, yeah, that's a fun fact. We should talk about this in Patreon too. Sign up if you want to hear the full story. But we were in the park when they experienced the most death in a single day in the park. Yeah. And it was in the area we were in earlier, but we followed its instructions new flash flooding was possible and we got out several hours before it was expected and we were the last um permitted group that got in there before they once you have a permit the national park service legally can't deny you entry but we were the last group that they were allowing you know new permits to um and then we were there we were in there for two nights i believe in that hold on there's more to the story. Yeah. Subscribe to Patreon. You'll hear the yeah, rest of it. Go. There we go. Because uh, there's some really cool information that I'm going to reveal and talk <laughs> yeah. about that you can actually go through those narrows while it's flash flooding, but after a certain point, 
which no. we will never do, but it's possible. Remember, we talked to a guy who did it, and it's like perfectly safe. So these people, I think, tried doing it, did it wrong, and you have to subscribe to Patreon to learn more. <laughs> All right, we're going to move on now. Yes. Um, if you become lost, turn to your 10 essentials, stay calm, and think through the situation. Staying calm is like one of the biggest ones. It's a big one, and it's probably the hardest one to do when you're lost because your everyone's first inclination is to kind of panic. Oh, a hundred percent. Especially if you listen to podcasts like this, like <laughs> you first you're gonna panic. Unless well, you, if you listen to podcasts like this, yeah. you shouldn't get lost in the first place. No, but no, I totally agree. Um, having strong mental fortitude in that situation and understanding just that, a clear head because if you get lost, sit down for ten minutes and just like do some breathing exercises or do you know do some yoga, or anything to kind of calm down, clear your head, and then you can start thinking of what am I gonna do. Yeah, if you're not injured, you have a little time to think. Yes. It's it's unless you're running from a bear or something. Unless, and unless you're in like Death Valley or some really inhospitable park, you're not going to die in 24 hours. You have time. Um, in most of these parks, if you you know follow the rules of what to do and you're lost, you'll be found. <laughs> yep, 100%. Totally yes. agree. Uh, so you want to stay put. You'll be found sooner. So while you're thinking, think about not moving. Especially or, if you told someone where you were and you followed the instructions. Or if you're you're in a location that's not the greatest, find somewhere that provides a little bit of shelter and, you know, but once you find that spot, stay put. Shelter, some access to open air too because if they're going to fly over, they want to see you. Yeah. Uh, stay warm and dry. If you are tempted to follow a river or creek, remember that these are often the most dangerous routes in, Olymp in the Olympics. Uh, you want to create a sign visible from air. So lay out brightly colored clothing in a forest clearing, use a signal mirror, lots of different things. So you want to make your area look not natural. So but also be mindful if you're in a park that is at a high, high fire danger, even though you're lost, you may not want to start a signal fire because yeah. you could end up creating an even bigger problem for yourself. I uh, didn't even say signal fire. <laughs> so, well, everybody's first thought is I'm going to create a, a fire, lots of smoke, they'll see me. Yeah. But remember the branded Brandon Day and Gina episode? Yes. They almost got killed by a, a fire yeah. that they started. <laughs> so Yes, they yeah. So be cognizant of what you're doing. Yeah. And if you're panicking, maybe yeah, don't start a fire. Yeah. Unless you know you can control it. Um yeah, so the biggest thing is though, um, like what's not in nature, right angles, things like uh, straight lines, like things that are unnatural. So if you can take logs and lay them out, maybe they're not brightly covered, colored, but if you're... Bring a whistle. Yeah, so whistle is a good yeah. one. But yeah, it just make things that people would see be like, hey, that's not nature. If someone did that, I let's go look at that. I always have something really bright in my pack, like a neon yellow towel or yeah. something that i could like lay out on the ground yeah most of my hiking clothes are yellow red yeah no, red's not that great but blue, i always think yellow. about like what if i have a clearing near me and there's a helicopter going by someone will see a bright neon towel oh, yeah, laying absolutely. in the grass and now they make the ultra reflective clothing yeah so if they're going at night and you shine a light on you just like explode with light yeah you could get stuff like that so yeah. there's tons of ways that you can be spotted uh, so let's talk about the overall difficulty of Olympic National Park. According to our friends at All Trails, there are 179 trails in the park. 36 of them are classified as easy, 26 as medium, 
and 102 is hard. There's a lot of hard trails there. Uh, one of the most difficult trails in the Mount Storm is the Mount Storm King Trail. Mount Storm King is a steep, partially unmarked, and has switchback trails through dense trees. Later on on the trail requires a hiker to use ropes, a uh, hiker to use ropes uh, to get up, which may seem daunting and slip in slippery weather. Or for less experienced hikers, at the top of the hike, the weather tends to get very windy without tree cover. So that just sounds. I mean, the views better be great because that yeah. just sounds completely pointless unless the view's amazing. <laughs> yeah. Or you just say you want to do it. Uh, now, the easiest trail is the Madison Falls Trail. I like that you put this in here. Uh, the trail is only 0.2 miles long. It's paved, is wheelchair accessible, and pet friendly. So that one's kind of neat. Yeah. And uh, you get to go see a, a waterfall at the end of it. So, Mike, let's talk about our first case. So, our first case subject is brian lee johnston uh he was he went missing august 28th of 2013 his remains have not been found uh, and real quickly are you i'm not the, sharing yet okay gotcha. i'll let you know if i'm ever sharing gotcha it's just on you right now oh okay <laughs> um so his remains were never found he was a male he was 71 at the time of his disappearance. He was five foot ten. He had long white hair, uh, worn in a ponytail. Gear he was last seen in is blue jeans and a black day pack. Uh, personality, according to friends and family, he was very quiet and almost bordering on a loner, um, which is not a, a bad term. It's just some people are just, uh, you know, quiet by nature. So. Um, he was definitely that type of person. He was uh, retired, but used to be an engineer for Seattle City and Light. And he spends his he spent his retirement hiking, doing photography, and going on cruises with his wife. So it sounds like he had a pretty, pretty fun retirement. I mean, most of us would love to retire and still be go, healthy enough go to on hike cruises and, go on, and hiking. Yeah, yeah, that sounds pretty great, Mike. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so he uh, spent his entire life in the area and family had said that he showed no intention of wanting to leave. So experience in the wilderness. Um, he had been hiking since he was a child. He had been a Cub Scout and made it all the way to Eagle Scout and had been hiking his whole life. So uh, very, you know, experienced in the sense that he he's not new to hiking uh, we don't have any information if he's specifically hiked in this area, but based on the fact that he was born and lived here his whole life, I'm I'm guessing that he's probably hiked in this area before. Um, list a couple people that were involved in this case. So we got Susan Johnston, his wife, uh, Ginny Longfellow, an older sister, and Kelly Hubbard was his daughter. So jumping right into timeline, uh, Brian Johnson. Uh, had planned to do a two or three day hike on the Ozette Loop Trail in Olympic National Park. He got up early on the morning of August 22nd, 2013, at his home in the Ballard District of Seattle and left a note for his sleeping wife that he was heading off for a hike. On his way to the park, he did stop at a couple local businesses uh, before parking in the Ozette Ranger Station parking lot. Now, it's believed that he left his truck and went off to start his hike on this trail, but there is no evidence of where he actually went. Okay, so they don't know exactly where he was. So here's Ozette Lake. Mm -hmm. 
I'm guessing the loop. I was trying to search for the loop, and it doesn't. That's the ranger station. Where? Right there. Your oh, like where the roads are right here? Yeah, maybe there. Okay. Or I don't know. I don't see any buildings. Yeah, we got a guy looking in <laughs> studio window time. <laughs> All right. <laughs> well, um, yeah, there's a lot of roads going up there. Or, or maybe where... Oh, here it is. Ozette Ranger Station. Okay. So it's at the north end of Ozette Lake. Yeah, so that's where he parked. Okay. Um. Oh, yeah. Look at this big parking lot right here. Yeah. There we go. Okay, so he said... Was he at the Ozette campground? Uh, We do not know. He was planning just to do... Um, It sounds like a two or three day hike. So it didn't sound like he was actually going to camp at the, the campground. Um, I'm going to do a quick ruler and just do like a real rough as the like, crow ju- flies. Yeah. Like <laughs> it, a box around this. Okay. So 22 miles and it's could be more. Could it be looks a, like trails like right on yeah, the lake. That seems like, so that you could do go around this lake in two days. I'm guessing. Yeah. For, it, for an average hike. It looks like if you zoom in, there are campsites at various spots right, around see. the lake. Like yeah, there the was. I end. saw one popping up. Let me get back here. Yeah, Erickson Bay. Camp. Okay, there's different campgrounds along there. Let's see if there's any else. Looked like there's something on the south end. Yeah, it's possible. There's probably a lot more in Google Maps. just doesn't have it because there's like dirt roads and stuff like, yeah. like this. Oh, that's a river. And in Olympic, at least when we were there, you could... Uh, it was one of those parks where they did allow, with a backcountry permit, you could go anywhere and camp. Oh, so it was like BLM land? No, They're, yeah. I mean, like they didn't have designated sites? They do. But, but like, you could go off those sites? Yeah, like we had backcountry permits to camp on the beach. Oh, that's um, cool. Yeah, I guess you're not going to really destroy too much habitat on sand. No. Like unless you're like digging it there out. There were these really problems. funny bugs every night when we set up our campfire that would... They looked like little ants, but they moved really fast, and they just jump into the fire. Oh, like <laughs> they're attracted to the light? Attracted to the light by the hundreds. We'd be sitting there and just watch them. Like they'd run across the sand and like jump into the fire. All right. I'm back on you because I'm going to look up this ant, <laughs> okay. and I'm going to see if I can find. I got, find a, this I got a cool button. I can just go to YouTube with one hit of a button. I should have probably left it on just because it makes me happy. <laughs> um, all so, right. Yeah, I'm going to um, look it up. All right. Well, getting back to the, the timeline here. So, like I said... He parked at that park um, ranger station parking lot, but no one really knows for sure if he actually got out on the trail. Um, so it is now Wednesday, August 28th of 2013, and Brian's wife and stepchildren reported him missing to Olympic National Park Rangers when he didn't return from his hike. So like we said, he left on Thursday, August 22nd of 2013, and now it's August 28th. So they waited quite a you know few days. So, you know, two or three days for hiking um, before they uh, contacted park rangers. So the search really gets going on August 29th of 2013. So park spokesman uh, Barb Maines. Now, this is really funny because we're doing three cases in Olympic. Uh, this lady was also the park spokesman back in like 97. Oh, and so she like covered it. She, she's she been part with of the park for, for like all 30 years. I'm pretty sure. Oh my gosh. So good for her. Yeah. So park spokesman Barb Maines said, Brian Johnson of Seattle was reported overdue Wednesday when he failed to return from a planned two or three day trip to Olympic national park. 
Um, the mor- this morning, six ground search teams and two search dog teams are continuing the search begun on Wednesday. So the search actually really kind of started off probably Wednesday night. A team is also searching Lake Ozette in a boat. His truck was found parked at the Ozette Trail trailhead and inside rangers found receipts from several port angeles businesses dated august 22nd of 2013 the day he left his ballard home the ground search was called off with no clues brian's family said he didn't plan to disappear but was described as a quiet man when last seen he was wearing blue jeans and carrying a black day pack uh in all at least 50 park rangers along with search teams from uh Kalalum, Grays Harbor and Pierce County searched for Johnston for three days in and around the Ozette area, but found no sign of him. Rangers continued to investigate the case even after it was uh, closed by talking to people who may have seen him out on the trail. And uh, this is, you know, very common in a lot of these disappearances. They handed out photos of him to, um, you know, hikers that had backcountry permits for the North Coast and Ozette area. And oh, yeah, might we've, have talk, had we've talked about that a lot of times. Yeah. So now we are going to jump ahead to 2017. So Oh, so look at this. Um, Ozette Triangle Trail does not go around the lake. I'm, oh. on, I'm on all trails right now. This is why they need to sponsor us because we'll always just use this. Yeah. Uh, it does like a Bermuda Triangle dealie and uh, goes along the ocean. So I got the screen on. If you're watching the video, you can kind of see... Um, we are looking at Ozette Lake here, and it goes out. I wonder if it goes to Sand Point. Let's see. Yeah, look at that. It goes like kind of straight out down Sand Point and back to Ozette. Interesting. All right, that's neat. I'll go. I'll see if there's another Ozette Trail just in case because yeah. it could be multiple. So, like I said, jumping ahead to 2017 now. According to one of his uh, family members, one of his boots was found by a hiker on the trail he went missing on, and was turned into authorities. But unfortunately. Nothing has turned up since, and Brian's disappearance remains a, mi- a mystery. So before we close out this case and um, go into quick theories here, we've got a few statements from family members. So his older sister, Ginny, said she thought that Brian may have decided to check out other hiking areas before trying out the Ozette Loop Trail. So there you go. Can, did you find? The I mean, other? that's it's that. Mo- this is the only one. The only other one I pulled up that said o- Ozette Lake Trail was in Montana. I opened it and realized it's Montana. So maybe they. I mean, this is a loop. Maybe the locals call that the loop. Yeah, I mean, because it is a loop. It's shaped like a triangle, but a loop means you can go. You don't have to backtrack. You, yeah, go, you go one way, way the whole way. <clears throat> so, um, she like I said, she said he may have decided to check out other hiking areas before. Uh, trying out the Ozette Loop Trail. There are trails to Siku and there are trails to Nibay. So she also went on to say he may have gone to Nibay and outside that little cove where <clears throat> we had the accident just to see it. She also said that he didn't plan to disappear. People have said that to me and there's no way he wouldn't do that. He was a very happy guy. So family doesn't think, you know, Jumping right into theories quickly on this one, there's not a lot to go off of, but uh, family doesn't seem to think it's suicide, and um, there was nothing in the research to indicate that he was having financial troubles or you know any kinds of issues. He seemed like a just pretty happy retired guy that liked to hike and go on cruises with his wife. Okay, um, I think <clears throat> the problem that we might have with this case is 
he may not be in the area that they're searching. He may have parked at that ranger station but decided to hike in other spots, which he very well might have injured himself, but just somewhere else where searchers weren't looking, and they only did a three-day search. So, Yeah, look at – here's Knee Bay is way up here. So here's the lake yeah, where the trails are. So he would have had to leave and go here. So I – I mean – that's real far away. Yeah. From the lake. If we're gonna do let's do as the crow flies again on Google Maps. Like if he left his car and decided, you know, I'm gonna hike all the way up there, what would it be? Okay, not terrible. It looks it looks bigger on the map. Fifteen miles. Yeah, I mean if you went straight shot, which it isn't, but Yeah, but I'm I'm saying like I if that was like fifty or you know, obviously it's not. Yeah, I mean I think with this case. I think I, something happened to him. He got injured, but he wasn't in the location that they thought he was in. So why do you think that? I think, like the family said, he just he kind of was an explorer maybe, and he he got there and he's like, you know what, I want to hike. I'm going to be here a few days. I'm going to hike something else first. And okay, then, like planned on doing something and then got there. He told maybe his wife he was going to change his mind. Yeah, he told his wife he was going to do the loop trail, but then when he got there, he, you know, he's a photographer. Okay, so and like she said, he might have gone to that other spot to see it i don't know what so mike what does this make you think of is the hints that we always talk about i plan you know have an itinerary and you know tell and stick to it stick to it you know even check in with the rangers and let them know you know if you have a permit they should know and the reality is because we're also the type of people that will go off and do a thing but i'll typically tell somebody if there's an area that i might explore Mm -hmm. so the idea is if we're doing like when we did um what am I thinking of? Glacier National Park. Yeah. So we were camping at the 50 Mountain Campsite in Backcountry. But on the itinerary, we even told the rangers we might go summit some peak. Like yeah. a day hike from, because we were staying at 50 Mountain two nights. We said, oh, these are some of the areas we're planning to go look at. We told them like three or four areas, and we did go to one of them. So the minimum is, okay, these guys went missing. Here's how many days. Yeah. We can check the whole trail. And then they also said they might check out these areas. That gives them very, very good information to start from. That yeah. they can send people to. I mean, unfortunately, in this case, they aren't even sure that he got on the loop trail that he originally told his wife because there was no evidence that he actually, you know, they have his car there. So just his car is parked there, but But according it. to family, there's several trails he could have gone off on from that area other than the loop trail. Okay, so, yeah, there's a lot of stuff coming out of that lake outside of just that triangle loop. Yes. Okay, that makes sense. So... Yeah, unfortunately, his remains have not been found. Like I said, a boot was found, but that didn't lead to any other discoveries. So it's been 10 years Did now. Did they say since. where the boot was found? Um, Let's see here. Nah. I feel like that's pretty dang relevant. It. They didn't mention <laughs> where the... Just It says one of his boots was found on a, by a hiker on the trail he went missing on and was turned into authorities. But this was a year after the search. And from, oh. I don't, from what I gathered, they didn't reopen the search after the boot was found so all right well to me that would narrow it down to a trail and if that was the ozo loop trail well yeah unfortunately why would he lose his boot and that's why would you lose your yeah that's weird and they know it was his they i mean the problem with this the problem with these cases in these cold case episodes is there's not a lot of information um yeah yeah and that's the funny thing because these are the ones that people get mad at us on it's like sorry dude yeah. If there wasn't stuff there, and I know you like checked this one because it was Kim's first one, you put some time into it and really yeah. spruced it up a bit. So, 
Yeah, so, you know. Um, now we can start blaming Kim. <laughs> no, we would never blame Kim Turn. <laughs> would we? Would we? <laughs> we have We're no- shutting your show down. It was the Kim Turn. We have another intern named Bob that we'll blame everything on. Bob Turn? Bob Turn. That doesn't flow. We can't. Yeah, no. <laughs> Bob doesn't exist. We can only have uh, interns that have IM in the end of their name. Okay. All right. So well, we can get a gym, a gym turn. A gym turn. Yeah. There we go. I like it. <laughs> a Kim turn and a gym turn. Yes. Um, okay. So we're moving on to case number two. Our next subject is John Devine. He went missing on September 7th of 1997. His remains have not been found. He was a male. Uh, at the time of his disappearance, he was 73 years old. He, uh, clothing and gear he was last seen, and I think this will definitely factor into my theories about his disappearance but he only had snack bars on him no other listed gear so obviously like clothing and snack bars so unprepared uh for what he was going to do so he was legally blind in one eye so that was the medical condition that i found in the research but personality wise he was described as very athletic and an avid hiker so he he was retired we don't have much you know, a lot of other information about about his occupation or hobby. Um, his experience in this location, though, was extensive. He had hi- had hiked long distances by himself in the Olympics before, so he's gone on day hikes, long distance hikes in this area. So he's hiked it before, knows what to do. Um, so that's really all we know about him as a person. Going right into the timeline, so it's Friday, September 5th of 1997. Divine enters the park to hike Mount Baldy using the very steep uh, Manyard Manard Burn Trail. So M-A-Y-N-A-R-D. Maynard. Maynard. So here's, here's Mount Baldy. Here's Mount Baldy if you are checking out this dream. So he was planning to hike this with just snack bars. So you said he was at the Maynard Trailhead? He was at the Maynard Burn Trail. Or that was the trail he was going to use to go all up right. to Mount Baldy. I don't know. I don't leave all trails open. I'm just going to do that. So that night on Friday, he camped with a friend near Mount Baldy area just outside the park boundary in the Buckhorn Wilderness area of Olympic National Forest. Uh, weather conditions at the time were said to be cold and blustery. So this is September now. And... um. Like we said in the, the location profile, the weather can be, you know, it's pretty temperate, but, you know, it can also be kind of, you know, cold and miserable at times too, rainy and um, you found the trail. Yeah, the trail's 9.9 miles, uh, 4,000 foot elevation gain. It is a loop. Yeah. So if you're an avid hiker, I could see you doing that with just some some bars. Yeah. Let's see what some of the comments say. This is why I love all trails because it will give you um, – I'll have to log in with my name because I actually pay for premium because yeah. I love it. Um, but they give you trail times. I'm going to see if I can find it on here while you're you're going through. Okay. So we are now moving to Saturday, September 6th of 1997. It's the afternoon. He was last seen on the afternoon of September 6th while hiking along Gray Wolf Ridge on the park's north side. <clears throat> when he failed to show up at camp after his hike, Uh, Family notified the authorities that he was missing. This is now Saturday night. Park spokeswoman Barb Maines, our friend Barb Maines, 
said Divine, a healthy and experienced hiker, was carrying snack bars but didn't have any other gear or food. So, oh, he had literally snack bars, like not even a backpack. It doesn't sound like it he says had, no other gear or food. So yeah, nothing like no, a couple snack bars in nothing, his pocket. Yeah, it didn't even sound like he have a day pack. It is now Sunday, September seventh of nineteen ninety seven. Personnel from the National Park, uh, Kalalum, and Jefferson Counties search and rescue teams and the Civil Air Patrol were looking for John Devine. Ten searchers looked for him on Sunday. On Monday, September 8th of 1997, an additional 10 searchers, along with four search dogs, joined the effort, um, park officials said that Monday. By Friday, September... So this is a pretty sad case. I read this when I was kind of reviewing the notes, but I forgot about it just now. So... A really sad thing happened Friday, September 12th during this search. So by this time on Friday, there were five different helicopters that were in the area searching for Divine. Around 4 p.m., one of the helicopters, a Bell 205A1, contracted by the Park Service, went down at the head of Slide Creek, which drains Mount Baldy off the north side in the Buckhorn Wilderness area of Olympic National Forest. Oh, geez. At the time of the crash, weather conditions <clears throat> had deteriorated as snow and cold swept through the mountain areas. There was actually an emergency medical technician on the ground near the crash scene when the helicopter went down, which uh, she tended to the victim victims and radioed for help. The helicopter was owned by Eugene, Oregon Company Helijet Corp. and was carrying a pilot and seven passengers, uh, the park spokesman said that three people aboard the helicopter were killed, and which is a number confirmed by the uh, county search and rescue officials. Two, um, two additional um, people on the helicopter were seriously injured and were flown to Harborview Medical Center in Seattle. A man in his 20s was in serious condition with facial and leg injuries, and a 24-year-old woman was in satisfactory condition with leg cuts and other leg injuries. A 32-year-old woman and two men, both in their 20s, were taken to Olympic Memorial Hospital in Port Angeles. All were conscious and not seriously injured and were released after their um, injuries were tended to. Killed in the crash was Kevin Johnston, uh, 35. He was the pilot from Springfield, Oregon, a former flight instructor with an 18-month-old daughter. Oh, jeez. Rita McHone, 52 of Aberdeen, a search volunteer who trained dogs to help with rescue missions, and uh, Taryn Hoover, 31, of Waldron, San Juan County, a seasonal park employee who, besides helping with searches, worked in a spotted owl survey in the park. So very sad incident um, involving, you know, a crash of a search helicopter, which is pretty rare. We've, we've seen it in other episodes that we've done, other cases. Yeah. Um, but... It's uh, it's not something that happens very often, and it's incredibly incredibly sad when it does. Yeah, it's really tragic. Um, Barb Maines, the spokesperson for Olympic National Park, said the chopper fell shortly after taking off from the mountainside. So they had mountainside areas set up that the helicopters could land to you know drop off searchers to help with the search. They also reported that the pilot made no report of trouble before the crash. The impact was heard by other searchers in the area, including emergency medical technician that I mentioned helped with the victims. 
So a little bit about the helicopter that went down. The modified Bell 205A1 had been owned by Helijet for six years. Um, Helijet provides aircraft for search and rescues and forest fires, uh, forest fire missions, as well as remote construction work for charter flights. Um, Johnson, the pilot that died, had flown all of these kinds of missions in the past. The Bell 205 was out of production for more than a decade. Um, it's the modern civilian version of the Bell Huey, which came into prominence during the Vietnam War. The helicopter was designed as a medical transport craft built to hold a pilot, medical attendant, and 12 to 14 troops. However, the 21-year-old Helijet company had the aircraft retrofitted, so it's unclear how many people it could have safely carried before the crash. The refurbishing included installing a larger engine and rotor system to provide better performance at higher altitudes. So are they like saying that maybe retrofitting it didn't work out or they, they because it's retrofit, they just couldn't really I make, think, ascertain like what caused it. Yeah. I think what they were saying, because it sounds like the original like stock version of the helicopter could carry a lot of people way more yeah. than that were on board. But due to the retrofitting of whatever they did to the helicopter, they were unsure what its actual capacity was. So they're not sure if that's what caused it to crash or if I'm sure they'd, I couldn't find any reports on the actual crash of the helicopter, so I don't know what brought down. But um, before I jump back in the timeline, my theories on the helicopter were probably based on the deteriorating weather conditions and it's a mountainous environment that maybe something happened um, weather-wise because it went down right after they took off. So potentially maybe some kind of, you know, wind gust or something caused the pilot to lose control but i'm just speculating um so like i said very sad um occurrence during this search so now it is saturday september 13th of 1997 a dozen searchers continued to comb the Mueller creek area looking for john but they were brought out before dark jason berry 23 in his second year as the park service volunteer said it's steep and rugged the bushes are super thick and it's tough to walk down the drainages yeah look at this yeah. Uh, I put on my premium version of all trails. It does a little. Oh, that's cool. Yeah. We just upped our game. Wow. Yeah, it's doing the 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 distance and elevation gain to get up there. So that's in five miles, there's 3,900 feet of elevation gain. Yeah. That's pretty aggressive. That Yeah. A lot of the comments were saying no matter which way you go on this thing, it's just steep. There's yeah. like not an easy way. Okay. So tough trail. So I've got theories on this one. Uh, Sergeant Don Kelly of the County Sheriff's Office, which coordinated the search with the National Park Service, said, if he was walking around up there, we would have found him by now. And if he had fallen down and hurt himself, he probably wouldn't be alive. Um, So without any evidence or clue in the search, and because of the horrific events of the downed helicopter, they called off the search on the, I believe, the Saturday, September 13th of 1997. So absolutely no evidence of divine has been found since and he wasn't really carrying any gear with him so there wasn't much to look for um so what are quickly before we get into third case what are your your rapid fire theories on this one i think his lack of gear uh, I, is yeah a major i factor. i think it's a mix of it's a really difficult trail 
And from what it looked like, I'm going to back out a little bit here. Let's see what some of the people are saying. Um, these are all now conditions. Oh, they even have mosquito activity. I mean, they're all talking about how the trail is awesome. They're rating it high, but they're saying, like, literally, it sucks. It's a killer on cardio on the way up. No matter which direction you go, it's pretty steep. So, apparently, it's a it's an awesome trail, but it is difficult. Yeah. Did it say what time of the year he went? September. September. Okay, so a couple months. They're saying conditions in November 2021. Actually, yes, yeah, so he was in 97. I wonder if I can go back to 97. Was all trails even around then? I think so. We've done this before where we've had more recent ones. Oh, no, it wasn't. Nine, I'm thinking of, okay, I'm like 17, I'm thinking of. Yeah, 97. Yeah, 97. Around. I mean, I don't know. No, internet was just around. <laughs> yeah, but they're saying it was, look at icy snow, great. Lots of five stars, uh, but also talking about how difficult it is. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, 50 reviews, 4.6, it's rated. Um, I feel like. Pop open some of the photos. Well, base, I feel like, look at yeah, the trail's pretty easy to see. Yeah. So I'm guessing he went off trail for a reason, maybe got injured, and just didn't have the gear. I think that's the most reasonable one because yeah, look at these. Even in the forested areas, you can really see the trail pretty well. I think yeah. I mean, I think I'm kind of on your train of thought there. My only thought was he was woefully unprepared for this hike. Yeah. What uh, remind the, me again? What was his experience in this area? Very experienced. Okay. Um, so it could have been one of those, like we say, if you do it a lot, you might become come complacent. He he. They said he had hiked many long distance hikes in a, the Olympics by himself in the past. So he's done this before. But my only concern was that we were. It was the weather conditions on Friday, September fifth, were described as cold and blustery and then uh during the search the weather was described i'm trying to go back to my notes and find out where the weather um the weather conditions were deteriorating uh as snow and cold were sweeping in through the mountains so let's just assume that the weather between friday the night he was camping when his friend was camping with him to when he started hiking to when the search was going on was deteriorating. It was getting worse by the day. He had no gear with him, no food, no water. Um, my guess is he succumbed to the elements, exposure. Maybe he got up there and the, the weather really moved in. And if you, know, if you go back to Google Maps and look at the top of Mount Baldy, it didn't look like there was a lot of cover yeah, it was very exposed. Even when looking at the pictures, it was. So, so if I'm just pulling up people's times. Yeah. Um, this person did it in six hours and two minutes. And you can see this is actually their trail, how yeah. they hiked it. So that's this is actually really neat. You can kind of see how, how long it took. Um, let's see this lady. Let's see what she did it in. Five and a half hours. There was one that was like 12 hours, but you could tell they kind of sat around. I think if you, you know, if Let's like what else you leave here. in the morning, you have you like gear with you and it's the conditions are good, you could easily do this in a day. Yeah, seven hours. So he was probably assuming it was going to be a day hike. Yeah. Oh, this is neat. This is the, this person's pictures along the way. So let's look at the peak area exposure, this person's picture. I mean, you're totally exposed. Totally exposed. Uh, you can see trail though. Yeah. And look at how far away you can see it. But so we've, we've been hiking in the mountains. Here's a person right there. Weather comes in and you can't see the trail. 
even trail like that, you're not going to be able to see. If it's snowing, yes, but I mean, that's, I mean, if you look down, you're seeing it. It's not the greatest, but I've been in ones where it's just scree. There isn't, yeah. you got to, you got to find Karen's and. My guess is he got up there and weather moved in and without having the proper gear, he. That could he, be. He panicked or something and fell or, I mean, looking at those pictures, you could injure yourself. Yeah. Going off trail. I, I, I agree with that. I think Maybe that's, he that's got up there and the weather got bad and he's like, I'm going to, I'm going to, instead of taking the trail back down, I'm going to cut down on my own. Yeah. And here's eight and a half hours. So yeah, people are, I mean, the fastest I saw was six hours. Longest was 12. Yeah. So you can do this in a day. 12 is a lot. That's yeah. a half a day. You got to get up early. Uh, if you would need to get back before nightfall and that's you're moving. Yeah. You're not stopping to like smell the flowers. Well, no, actually in that one that if you're taking that long, I think that was this first one I looked at. Let's see here. Uh, moving time, six and a half hours, total time nine. So that's like, you can see how much they average pace. It says, yeah, let's see. I'm trying to find the big one. Average pace, uh, 39 minute mile. Yeah. Okay. But uh, you, mind you, that's going up. Like some pretty gnarly yeah. elevation. Oh yeah, it's not just flat ground. <laughs> yeah, this person. Oh, they didn't do the all, this. They didn't go to Mount Baldy, so they cut off. A they bunch just did of the time. loop. Yeah, they just did the loop. So okay. it was five and a half hours. Okay. All right. Uh, yeah, I'm. I'm gonna go with. I think he just potentially got lost. I like your idea of weather came in. Yeah, based uh, on just the weather reports we have. Yeah. Um. So, yeah, I think uh, unprepared, unfortunately, and he got up there, weather moved in quick, which happens all the time in the mountains, and he just wasn't prepared for that and succumbed to the, the elements. Um, so I will move on to the third case. And while I'm doing that, Joe, you should turn our live sign on. Oh, yeah, I'll do that. Sorry. <laughs> I've been staring at that. And, um, there we go. Now we're live. Now we're live. <laughs> We weren't live before. Now we are. We got to start the whole thing over. All right. Okay. So our first case. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> um, okay. Our final case of this episode is a gentleman by the name of James Griffin. He went missing December 24th of 2014. Remains have been found. Uh, a, a gender, he was male. He was age uh, 60 at the time of his disappearance. He had brown and gray hair that he pulled back into a ponytail, sideburns, and a goatee. Had brown eyes. Uh, we do not know the clothing or gear that he was last seen in, unfortunately. Personality, uh, he was single, lived alone. He was retired, but an avid hiker. He, uh, um, medical issues, he had a, in the past, he had a leg injury that slowed him down while hiking. Uh, experience in the wilderness, he was a frequent visitor of all trails and reported as an avid hiker. So very, you know, experienced in this location. Again, all three of these individuals knew the area and have hiked it in the past. So uh, sometimes, you know, there's cases where the subjects are new to the location, which could have factored in. But all three of these individuals knew the area. So adds a little mystery to it. Yeah. So this timeline starts December 22nd at 2014, around 4 p.m. It's a Monday. James was day hiking in Olympic National Park and was last seen by other hikers at Olympic Hot Springs around 4 p.m. The weather conditions. Now, this is interesting. All three cases, we've had weather conditions, which is actually one of the facts we usually don't have. So um, 
very, I don't know why, it's just interesting that some of these shorter cases are very lacking of information, yet we've had weather reports. <laughs> so, Well, that's easy info to get. Yeah, but we never, a lot of times we don't have it. So yeah. um, the weather at the time he was hiking was rainy and in the mid-30s. Uh, like I said, this was December 22nd and 23rd. So December 24th of 2014, which is a Wednesday, he uh, was reported missing when he failed to show up for a Christmas Eve dinner uh, that he had planned with friends. Uh, Park officials were told that Griffin often hiked the 2.5-mile trail to the hot springs and knew the trail well but made slow progress due to his earlier leg injury. The search actually kicked off not long after he was reported missing. Three rescuers searched Wednesday night beginning at about 10 p.m. and spent the night in the field before looking for Griffin all day Thursday. And you know what? You really got to tip your hat to these searchers. It's right around Christmas. And you can imagine they'd probably rather be at home with their families, but they're literally spending a night out in the park in rainy, freezing cold weather trying to find this guy. So, yeah, he, um, that's, I mean, they take their job real seriously. I think that's, yeah. that's good for them. So just a tip of the hat to the, the rescuers that were out there searching for him. So it is now December 25th, 2014, Thursday. We get a break in the case. So, Two teams of searchers joined the effort um, that around noon on Thursday. James James's day pack was found uh, about half a mile from the trailhead of the Boulder Creek hiking trail in the Olympic Peninsula's Elwha Valley and 50 feet off the trail itself. The pack was leaning against a log, looking like items had been removed and contained his camera, stove, food, water, snacks, and fire starters. So I lied. We do know the gear he was in. So it sounds like he was prepared to be out there yeah. um, hiking in these conditions. He had a stove. He had water, snacks, fire starters, very important. A towel was lying on the pack, and a nearby log and, and near a nearby log had a Coke can and a plastic coffee mug, as well as an unfinished bag of prepared freeze-dried food that had been resealed. Park officials did make a note that there was no signs of struggle in the area around where his pack was found. So that is an interesting discovery. It sounds like he had you know, sat down for maybe some lunch or dinner or some food. He had all his stuff out. You know, he was getting ready to cook. Um, so very interesting. You got to wonder, we'll get into theories, but got to wonder what causes someone to get all their stuff out and then walk away <laughs> so yeah it is now december 26th of 24 wonder if you went to like go get water maybe but if they said there was water in his pack that was found yeah that's yeah because i mean you need it for freeze-dried food yeah and yeah i mean maybe if well, we'll had, get in the theories okay, okay all right i'm We're sorry getting ahead of ourselves sorry <laughs> so i can't find it on all trails every when i look up the hot spring it's like a 20 mile trail Okay, so I'm gonna I'm gonna zoom Can in. Can you on find it. the Boulder Creek hiking trail? I look for that too, and it, it, there's one in Washington, but it's up by Glacier. It's not in Olympic. Glacier. So, uh, glacier. Yeah, because the edge of Glacier is right in Washington. So let me show the screen. So yeah, here's. Just go. Maybe go to Google and just search Boulder Creek hiking trail. Yeah. Oh, that's 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 like a city. I'm 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 dumb. <laughs> 
Oh uh, yeah, Glacier's a little bit farther uh, yeah, like to the di- east here in Montana. States. Yeah, you usually go through Idaho. <laughs> you know what? Because I knew it was next to that area, and Glacier National Park does go into Idaho. It might even go into Washington a little bit, but on the other side. Yeah, that's where I'm just. Yeah, I don't think it goes there. I'm I'm just full of it. Okay. So sorry, everybody. Yeah, Glacier's right there. Yeah. It's, yep. Sorry. Well, I thought I like, thought it. I thought yeah. it. Oh, it goes into Canada. That's what I'm thinking. Yeah. I know it went somewhere else. So we got screwed up by that when we hiked it. Yeah, we did. We forgot our passports. We didn't bring our passports, and the trail we went to goes into Canada and comes back <laughs> yeah. out. And they're like, "Sorry, you got to go backwards now." And it was yeah. harder. Yeah. Uh. So I don't know. Keep trying. I guess the, those the trails must be there. Yeah, I'll, I'll I'll figure it out, and then I'll go back to the screen. So you keep talking. So, like I said, there was no sign of a struggle in the area where his pack was found. So now it's December 26th of 2014, and in the second full day of searching, 10... Oh, there we go. Yep, it's a 4.8-mile trail. I'll go to the National Park Service. We'll show that one. Boulder Creek Trail. Let's so it see. does exist. <laughs> From that point, uh, let's see, due to significant flood damage, Elwha areas closed, vehicle access, mass, and falls parking area. From that point, it's 7.9 miles to the Boulder Creek Trailhead. Oh, wow. So right now, because of road damage and flood damage, you have to hike 7.9 miles to the trailhead. Okay. So Wow. Yikes. So, all right. I mean, that's now. That, yeah. That doesn't mean he couldn't have got there before. So here we go. It's a good map. I'll zoom in a little bit here. So he was trying. I don't know if you see oh, anywhere. Too far. Um the hot springs. Uh, what see was that if, trail? Olympic hot springs. Let's go a little slower here. For those of you listening, we're looking at a park service yeah, map of the area. Yeah, let's see here. There's trailhead. What did they say it was only a couple miles to the hot springs? Like two miles? Uh, let me check here. Um, park officials were told that Griffin often hiked the 2.5-mile trail 2. to 5. the hot springs. Yeah, they don't have that specifically in here. Well, but if from the trailhead to the Altair picnic area, which is now closed right now, uh, it's 2.3 miles. So it's a little bit past that. Oh, Boulder, Boulder Hot Springs Trailhead. Olympic. I don't know. Yeah, I'm trying to say. Yeah, I knew that. What I'm trying to figure out is where the hot springs are. Yeah. So here's the Altair picnic campground. So it's got to be somewhere around here. Yeah. If they said 2.5 miles. So, so, all right, well, we'll that's get... That's fine. Yeah, so... Uh, oh, 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 I lied. Olympic Boulder Hot Springs Trailhead. Oh, it's not even on this map. Two Olympic Boulder Hot Springs. 2.5 miles. Okay, so 2. I'm 4. starting to see what he did here. He entered it through this area and then went over here. Okay. And then went that way. And then his gear was found, um, like I said... Uh, sorry, I'm, I've lost my spot. Um, Amateur hour. <laughs> His day pack was found about a half a mile from the trailhead of the Boulder Creek hiking trail and 50 feet off the trail itself. So wherever the trailhead is to Boulder Creek. Did it, I, I, help me remember, did it say he had a tent? Like, do you no. think maybe he was going off trail to set up a tent? No, it didn't say he had a tent in the list of gear that was found in the backpack, but um, I, I pulled it off the screen. So. Okay. So we'll, we'll move on. <clears throat> we'll move on. We've been. We'll bore the listeners yes. that aren't watching. So, like I said, December 26, 2014, it's now Friday. In the second full day of searching, 10 rescuers from the park and Olympic Mountain Rescue were aided by the State Department of Emergency Management search dogs and their handlers. Um, joining in the search was James' own dog, Bud, which is kind of cool. 
Um, Park spokeswoman uh, Ray said, searchers will continue scouring the rugged steep terrain Saturday, remaining in the general area for the time being. Two of the search dogs and their handlers will return Saturday, though Bud will not be back. Little Bud didn't prove to be too helpful. Oh, yeah. I mean, not he's not trained. trained in like the cone it probably method of scent tracking and stuff. More yeah. problems. I mean, it's good shot because there's been so many stories of like a dog that will um, like sense its owner's gone missing and go yeah. for it. Like you hear stories, so it's a good idea. I think you try well, it. Even with um, when I've gone hurt. when I've gone uh, bird hunting up north in Wisconsin, you'll walk. You know, you could walk all day into the woods and you know sure. take different trails. But then when you head back to the truck, the dog knows the way back. The dog will run ahead on the trail because it can smell the scent. Oh yeah, it and just yeah. So maybe they were trying it like it was a shot. I mean, and they. I, I think it was a good shot. I yeah, think it was definitely. You worth try everything. Shot, so absolutely, hundred so, um, percent. Okay, so Ray said the park's average search protocol calls for at least seven complete days of searching for missing hikers, but that could change. She said searchers are concentrating their efforts on the area where Griffin Griffin's backpack was found, and a nearby waterfall, a photo of which was on the camera and had a date stamp of June 29th. So. We are now on December 28th of 2014. It's Sunday. This is when the search was called off. So friends and family members were part of the search, she said, and were in close contact with the park when the decision was made to suspend the search Sunday evening. In all, the effort included more than 20 trained search and rescue team members, search dogs, and a, a group of Griffin's friends. Over Saturday and Sunday, searchers set up a 700-foot radius search around the site of the backpack and climb down towards Cougar Creek and Boulder Creek, two steep, dr steep drainages nearby. The slope near Boulder Creek ends in a cliff dropping into the creek itself, which park officials said cannot be searched because the terrain is too dangerous and the water at the time was too high. So that's when the official search ended. So we actually have a break, a big break in the case, almost a year to the day, um, in the future. So it's January 25th of 2015. So like we said, despite a week long search, no clues were found of him until January 25th. When James body was finally recovered about a third of a mile. Um, and nearby a 1000 foot vertical, f it was found. Sorry, let me go through this again. I like how you made me like go through all these theories and I didn't know there was a body. Oh, I said remains were found. Oh, I wasn't paying attention. I was, uh, I was I'm, I'm doing all the driving here. I got lots so of buttons I'm pressing. His, <laughs> his body was found about a third of a mile from his, where his backpack was found, but a thousand feet up. Whoa. Yeah. So we'll get into that. According to park officials. Does it, do they have a name of the location? Like, do they have a mountain name or anything? Um, no, but it was in the area where his pack was found. So. All right, and that was at the trailhead? It was 50 feet off the trail, about a half a mile in from the trailhead. Okay. So, according to park officials, it appeared Griffin had stepped off the trail to prepare a snack, but at some point became confused and lost and could not find the trail again. Spokesperson Barb Maines said, there is nothing to suggest anything other than someone who lost his location and couldn't find his backpack again, where he stepped off trail and became lost and confused. As to why he climbed the steep hill where his body was found, Maine said, if it's dark and you can't see anything, it's easier to walk uphill. You're more in control. 
They actually performed. That's interesting. Yeah, I mean, that's not what I would have thought. But so they did an autopsy on him. And the county forensic pathologist, Dr. Eric Keisel, issued an autopsy report that indicated that James had died from hypothermia. His brother Robert said in an interview that the result was really odd. It's just one of those things that happened, and nobody will ever know what the reasons were uh, for him to go up the hill. So a couple of remaining questions on this peculiar case is what happened to him? Why did he leave his pack and food just off the trail and climb 1,000 feet up a steep hillside? Uh, did something or someone scare James so much that he dropped his pack and food and hurried away as fast as he could? Mm-hmm. If he had an old leg injury, climbing the steep slope, which was 1,000 feet high in uh, pitch black, would have been very difficult and just leaves the question, why would he do that? And also, if he knew the area quite well, um, why, uh, why wouldn't he just walk out the way he came? Um, so investigators just say that he got lost and confused on his way back to the car in the dark, yet many have said the trails are well-marked. Um, and finally, the autopsy confirmed that there were no drugs or alcohol in his system at the time. So um, what are your theories? Um, I feel like maybe he got hypothermia and climbed the hill. Oh, just because like he was the confused. early phase, yeah, confusion and just kind of, and I, I only think that mainly because I've seen it happen. Yeah, to somebody start making very odd, dumb decisions because they're in the early stages of hypothermia. Um, so yeah, maybe he went off the trail to prepare a snack. Maybe he went off trail to prepare a snack because he felt like something was off. Yeah, and if he was ill prepared, didn't have all the right stuff. Uh, maybe he had clothes, but it was already kind of too late. He didn't think to put them on. Yeah, and. I don't think you can do I think at that point, again, this is my theory. Yeah. If it's true, there's no reasoning. So I wouldn't even say there is a reason he even thought to go up the hill. I yeah. think people just do. He just did it because he wasn't thinking clearly. Yeah. It's just yeah. it's just he he just started like autonomously doing a thing. Like that almost is, like an NPC just kind of roaming around. Like there is no reason that he did it. And then he climbed. Um how I, old was he at the time? He was older. Sixty. So yeah, you're putting a lot of strain on your body. You're, I mean, a thousand feet up the side of a hill, like that's yeah, a lot of work, especially for someone that age. And now he hiked a lot, so I'm sure it wasn't too big of and a for, deal. For those non-gaming uh, people out there, an NPC is a non-player <laughs> character. Oh yeah, so that's sorry for that. So that yeah, somebody like if you're playing a game, there's people that are there to add to the game itself, but they just kind of walk in squares. You know, yeah. they're, they're not doing anything. They're like automated. Yeah. So I looked at it like that and that's, I think of that because that's what my buddy, when he had it happen, that's what yeah. he looked like. His eyes were glazed over. You could tell there was nothing behind it. He was like yeah. kind of empty in his he's brain. On autopilot. A hundred percent. You'd ask him questions and he's like, I'm going to the car to get clothes. Yeah. And I'm like, that's a day away and you're soaking wet and yeah. it's almost nightfall. And like, it just yeah. over the top of his head just had no, reason to do it yeah so i think that's i think this case i very confident in your theory i think he was an experienced hiker he's done this yes. many times before it doesn't mean it can't no before maybe he got wet yeah and that's why i think if he was in a normal state of mind with his bad leg there's no way he would go up a thousand feet yeah there's no reason to do it off no. trail why oh uh, well okay May uh, did it say he was a photographer? Or was that the last one? That was the last guy. This guy okay. didn't mention. So okay, he so like he wouldn't climb up there to get a picture. No, no, 
Okay. And he's done this. He's been here many, many times. He had pictures of the location from June on his camera. So it's not like, you know, he's never seen it before and he wanted to get the perfect shot. He comes here all the time. So I think you're right. I think he got cold. They, I mean, the autopsy said he died of hypothermia. That's that's <laughs> partially why I'm like, okay, we have an autopsy report, and they are able to determine through forensics that yeah. this is the cause of death. Yeah. Okay, that's the cause of death. Why did he get hypothermia? I think that's really what we want to do here is let's go with that and say it was hypothermia. Then he climbed up a hill for some reason, and he passed Probably away up there. underestimated the weather conditions at the time. And okay. Probably didn't have the proper gear. I mean, it's December. Yep, that's fair. It was in the 30s. It was cold and rainy. Um, for whatever reason, he maybe underestimated the conditions. Yeah, and like you said, he got hypothermia. He started making irrational decisions and for whatever reason went up a 1,000 feet, which is why the searchers didn't find him because they're probably logically thinking like, all right, there's no way he's going up. He has a bum knee. Yeah, if you're injured, you go downhill. They only have so or many searchers. There. And they're, you know, they're thinking the most logically, but you can't always think that way if someone has hypothermia. Nope, totally agree. Yeah, so sadly, at least the family is closure. Yeah, I think, yeah, they, they found him and yeah. they have an idea of what happened. Yeah. So, it, yeah, it doesn't make it better, but no. we've, we've had the fortunate ability or unfortunate ability, fortunate ability to speak with a lot of families who are directly involved with the cases. And the overwhelming responses of the people who found the body they're grateful they have closure. They're grateful yeah. they found the body. The ones that did not are distraught. And they yeah. and they say, I, I just wish we knew where he was. I wish we could bring him home. They don't know if they're still alive or yeah. if they were, you know, kidnapped or Yeah, the unknown is scarier than the yeah. the bad news, just just getting that closure. Like Otherwise, it's still terrible to think a loved one died from hypothermia, but at least you know what happened. Yes. You 100%. don't have that mystery the rest of your life. Yeah. So it's gotta be agonizing. Yeah. So Yep, they, they know where he is. They kind of know what happened, so I, that's definitely better than not. But yeah. I, I think that's what it is. That'd I be my I'm, biggest guess. I'm not 100% confident, but very confident that that's what happened to him. Well, right. on that, that cheery note, any, know, right? anything else? No, uh, we want to thank all of you for tuning into our show. We appreciate all of you for listening and sharing locations known with your friends and family. Be sure to like and follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, uh, and YouTube, where you can find the videos of each episode. We have this awesome new feature where we did like a fly-through hike of one of the trails. I'm going to start yeah. trying to do that on all of them because that was neat. Uh, also, if you would like to support the show monetarily, please visit our website or Facebook store to buy some sweet, sweet swag. And additionally, you can subscribe to our Patreon account. Uh, you can subscribe on YouTube and also on Apple where you will have access to special events, additional shows for paid customers only, like where we tell the story about what happened to us in Zion National Park right after this. Uh, and lastly, when you're enjoying the beauty of nature, whether backpacking, camping, or simply taking a walk, always remember to leave no trace. Thanks, and we will see you all next time. <laughs>